Book the Second, Part Six of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Second, Part Six. When they had parted, Dare walked along towards Markton with resolve on his mouth and an unscrupulous light in his prominent black eye. Could any person who have heard the previous conversation have seen him now, he would have found little difficulty in divining that, notwithstanding de Stancy's obduracy, the reinstation of Captain de Stancy in the castle, and the possible legitimation and enrichment of himself, was still the dream of his brain. Even should any legal settlement or offspring intervene to nip at the extreme development of his projects, there was abundant opportunity for his glorification. Two conditions were imperative. Testancy must see Paula before Somerset's return. And it was necessary to have help from Havel, even if it involved letting him know all. Whether Havel already knew all was a nice question for Mr. Dare's luminous mind. Havel had had opportunities of reading his secret, particularly on the night they occupied the same room. If so, by revealing it to Paula, Havel might utterly blast his project for the marriage. Havel, then, was at all risks to be retained as an ally. Yet Dare would have preferred a stronger check upon his confederate than was afforded by his own knowledge of that anonymous letter and the competition trick. For, whether competition lost to him, Havel would have no further interest in conciliating Miss Power, would as soon as not let her know the secret of Distance's relation to him. Fortune, as usual, helped him in this dilemma. Entering Havel's office, Dare found him sitting there, but the drawings had all disappeared from the boards. The architect held an open letter in his hand. "'Well, what news?' said Dare. "'Miss Power has returned to the castle. Somerset is detained in London, and the competition is decided,' said Havel, with a glance of quiet dubiousness. "'And you've won it?' "'No. We are bracketed. It's a tie.' The judge says there is no choice between the designs, that they are singularly equal and singularly good, that she would do well to adopt either, signed so-and-so, fellow of the Royal Institute of British Architects. The result is that she will employ which she personally likes best. It is as if I had spung a sovereign in the air and it had alighted on its edge. The least false movement will make it tails, the least wive movement heads. Singularly equal. Well, we owe that to our nocturnal visits, which must not be known. Oh, Lord, no, said Havel apprehensively. Dare felt secure of him at those words. Havel had much at stake. The slightest rumour of his trick in bringing about the competition would be fatal to Havel's reputation. The permanent absence of Somerset, then, is desirable architecturally on your account, matrimonially on mine. Matrimonially? By the way, who was that captain you pointed out to me when the artillery entered the town? Captain de Stancy, son of Sir William de Stancy. He's the husband. Oh, you needn't look incredulous. It is practicable, but we won't argue that. In the first place, I want him to see her, and to see her in the most love-kindling, passion-begetting circumstances that can be thought of. And he must see her surreptitiously, for he refuses to meet her. Let him see her go to church or chapel? Dare shook his head. Driving out? Commonplace. Walking in the gardens? Ditto. At her toilet? Ah, if it were possible. Which it hardly is. 
Well, you'd better think it over and make inquiries about her habits, and as to when she is in a favourable aspect for observation, as the almanacs say. Shortly afterwards, Dare took his leave. In the evening he made it his business to sit smoking on the bowl of a tree which commanded a view of the upper ward of the castle, and also of the old postern gate, now enlarged and used as a tradesman's entrance. It was half-past six o'clock. The dressing-bell rang, and Dare saw a light-footed young woman hasten at the sound across the ward from the servants' quarter. A light appeared in a chamber which he knew to be Paula's dressing-room, and there it remained half an hour, a shadow passing and repassing on the blind, in the style of headdress worn by the girl he had previously seen. The dinner-bell sounded, and the light went out. As yet it was scarcely dark out of doors, and in a few minutes Dare had the satisfaction of seeing the same woman cross the ward and emerge upon the slope without. This time she was bonneted and carried a little basket in her hand. A nearer view showed her to be, as he had expected, Millie Birch, Paula's maid, who had friends living in Markton, whom she was in the habit of visiting almost every evening during the three hours of leisure which intervened between Paula's retirement from the dressing-room and returned thither at ten o'clock. When the young woman had descended the road and passed into the large drive, Dare rose and followed her. "'Oh, it is you, Miss Birch,' said Dare, on overtaking her. "'I am glad to have the pleasure of walking by your side.' "'Oh, yes, sir. Oh, it's Mr. Dare. We don't see you at the castle now, sir.' "'Oh, and do you get a walk like this every evening, when the others are at their business?' "'Almost every evening. That's the one return to the poor lady's maid for losing her leisure when the others get it.' in the absence of the family from home. Is Miss Power a hard mistress? No. Rather fanciful than hard, I presume. Just so, sir. And she likes to appear to advantage, no doubt. I suppose so, said Minnie, laughing. We all do. When does she appear to the best advantage? When riding, or driving, or reading her book? Not altogether, then, if you mean the very best. Perhaps it is when she sits looking in the glass at herself, and you let down her hair. Not particularly to my mind. When does she to your mind? When dressed for a dinner party or ball? She's middling, then. But this one time when she looks nicer and cleverer than at any other. It is when she's in the gymnasium. Oh, gymnasium. Because when she's there she wears such a pretty boy's costume, it is so charming in her movements, that you think she's a lovely young youth, and not a girl at all? When does she go to the gymnasium? Not so much as she used to. Only on wet mornings now, when she can't get out for walks or drives. But she used to do it every day. I should like to see her there. Why, sir? I'm a poor artist, and can't afford models. To see her attitudes would be of great assistance to me, in the art I love so well. Minnie shook her head. She's very strict about the door being locked. If I were to leave it open, she would dismiss me, as I should deserve. But consider, dear Miss Birch, the advantage to a poor artist the sight of her would be. If you could hold the door ajar, it would be worth five pounds to me, and a good deal to you. No, said the incorruptible Millie, shaking her head. Besides, I don't always go there with her. Oh, no, I couldn't. Millie remained so firm at this point that Dare said no more. When he had left her, he returned to the castle grounds, and though there was not much light, he had no difficulty in discovering the gymnasium, 
the outside of which he had observed before without thinking to inquire its purpose. Like the erections in other parts of the shrubberies, it was constructed of wood, the interstices between the framing being filled up with short billets of fir nailed diagonally. Dare, even when without a settled plan in his head, could arrange for probabilities, and, wrenching out one of the billets, he looked inside. It seemed to be a simple oblong apartment, fitted up with ropes, with a little dressing-closet at one end, and lighted by a skylight or lantern in the roof. There replaced the wood, and went on his way. Havel was smoking on his doorstep when Dare passed up the street. He held up his hand. "'Since you have been gone,' said the architect, "'I fit upon something that may help you in exhibiting your lady to your gentleman. "'In the summer I had orders to design a gymnasium for her, which I did, "'and they say she is very clever on the ropes and bars. "'Now, I have discovered it. "'I shall contrive for him to see her there on the first wet morning, "'which is when she practices. "'What made her think of it?' "'As you may have heard, she holds advanced views on social and other matters.' and in those on the higher education of women she is very strong, talking a good deal about the physical training of the Greeks, whom she adores, or did. Every philosopher and man of science who ventilates his theories in the monthly reviews has a devout listener in her, and the subject of the physical development of her sex has had its turn with other things in her mind. So she had the place built on her very first arrival, according to the latest lights on athletics, and in imitation of those of the new colleges for women. How deuced clever of the girl. She means to live to be a hundred. End of Book the Second, Part Six.